Good morning. Well, all right, good morning, hello. Come on, come on back down to earth. Well, actually, stay in heaven. That'd be fine. So, I'm Randy, and you're going to get tired of me, but hopefully you won't. So, um, last week, as Kevin mentioned, uh, Tommy Hayes was continuing a few-week series here in San Antonio uh, with us, um, giving the foundations and understandings about inner healing. He, he calls it healing from the inside out. Um, and in his sharing, Tommy introduced us to three dimensions of the human personality, the human person, described in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. And um, I want to read that for you. I believe it's a, a very foundational scripture for where we're going and what we're going to be doing. May the God of peace himself totally and completely sanctify you. And may your entire being, spirit, soul, and body, be free from guilt at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think there's any part of you that's left out of that? Maybe your little toe. May God himself totally and completely set you apart as holy. May your entire being, spirit, soul, and body, be free from guilt and shame and disappointment and sadness at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we think about that, and Kevin referenced that as a day yet to come sometime in the future that we really don't need to worry about right now because it's often never, never land somewhere. But I would suggest to you that Jesus comes every day looking for faith, but wanting to set us free. So originally, uh, Tommy was supposed to be back again this week for us, but there was a family need that required him to fly to Tennessee, and <clears throat> he wasn't able to get back this morning. So I was very uh, stirred uh, over these last few weeks with what Tommy brought to us and uh, chatted with him about the possibility of, of uh, talking about where, where he was going to go and uh, found leading um, to, do, uh, to kind of back up a little bit. Um, we are in a season called Lent, which is uh, a time of preparation. Could be paralleled to Advent, how that we have in sort of preparing for the Lord's uh, coming as a baby. Lent is a time to sort of prepare and think about preparing for the crucifixion and the resurrection and all that that means. And um, Easter is five weeks away. And it's a, it's a high time for us. I might remind you that we have these papers over here on the cross. If you're new with us, you wouldn't know what that is, but I'm going to remind you. Um, those were declarations by us individuals declaring things that um, we either wanted God to do or that we sensed God was asking us to do. 
And we put them up there on the New Year's Sunday, the first Sunday. And, and, there's, and they've remained as a reminder to us. And I hope that they have been a reminder to you who were able to place one up there. But those come down on Good Friday. Because Good Friday is a time of renewal and newness coming from death to life. And as we come in on Easter Sunday, that cross will be bare because Jesus will have been raised and will have done all that he has done for us. So long intro there. So I, uh, in wrestling with this and, and uh, talking with Clara and talking with Tommy and uh, work that I've been doing in a lot of materials and reading and scripture and study, I'm going to initiate what I'm at this point calling a five-week series that I will be teaching each Sunday for the next five weeks leading up to Easter called Being Born Again, The Restoration of Humankind. And um, I'm, I'm very um, filled with yearning for us uh, to experience something new in this season. Um, I liked Kevin's, I think it was prayer, maybe it was his exhortation, but um, I don't know, okay, I lost it now, but that's right, sorry, I'm, I'm, I, I'll stay, let me get back to this. So I feel like I need to back up and I need to begin at an understanding about the nature of God. Tommy introduced us and talked about the nature of the human person, and we will be getting there next week, and then going from there on to this aspect of restoration. But uh, I, I believe that, that we have some misunderstandings about who God is. And I think it's vital uh, to know him is to know who he truly is. So, before I jump into that this morning, let's pray. Holy Spirit, would you come and do what you do so nicely and lovingly and connect us with the Father and the Son and yourself? And would you teach us this morning? You who are guide one who comes alongside to help, one who will illumine the words of Jesus and teach us all things. Would you lead us past uh, rational understanding? Would you lead us past misunderstanding? And would you lead us to our heart, our spirit, and soul. And would you empower us to connect with you for your glory. Amen. So there's numerous aspects to the nature of God that I'm going to highlight Trying, of course, in one Sunday to describe the fullness of the nature of God is impossible because God's a little bigger than anything I can say in the next 35 minutes or so, 
or 15 or whatever it is I have. But I have numerous statements I want to make, and and some are going to be familiar, but I hope that you can begin to hear something past what you have easily heard into something more and deeper. God is triune. The earliest creeds of the Christian church, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, clearly identify the nature of God as being God, one God in three divine persons. One God in three divine persons. They used some words, big old fancy words like consubstantial, hypostasis, which is referencing the fact that they are one in essence. They are one in nature. They are one in substance. They're not three persons separated. They're not three gods. One God in three essence. One nature. Later, the term Trinity, which means triad or threefold, became used and accepted as a way to describe our three and one God. It's not a word that's in Scripture. It's a word that the Christian community became familiar with to describe this three-in-one God. According to Judeo-Christian and Islamic tradition, monotheism was the original religion of humanity. But that, of course, morphed. Other traditions, the earliest recordings of human history, including up and through the Greek and Roman civilizations, have all described the divine and polytheistic manners, meaning many gods. Think God of agriculture, God of weather, God of fertility, sun god, storm god. Think Zeus, Apollo, Athena, Poseidon, Aphrodite. And while there are numerous religious expressions that are monotheistic, Christianity stands out as the only religion, religion describing God as one, meaning monotheistic in the same ways that Islam or Judaism would mean it, while also speaking of God as three. Not Three gods, but one God in three persons, three aspects, three elements. Now, while the nature, the triune nature of God can be um, is can be seen in the Old Testament, it it is primarily much more easily seen in the New. But there is language in the Old Testament that indicates this multiplicity, this uh, these aspects of the nature of God. The first Scripture uh, in the scriptures in Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. This references two of the persons of the Trinity. God, which is the both the name for the Trinity as one, but also throughout Scripture references the one whom we know in the New Testament as Father. On day six of creation, following the creation of the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and every kind of land and animal, the account describes the creation of humankind. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God 
one name, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So we have this us and our uh, aspects in the text here that uh, Judaism, uh, I haven't done significant studies. I did did some reading this week and was referencing numerous things, but I've not heard yet an, an explanation by uh, Jews in their case. I'm probably going to work on that just for personal fun sometime. But God speaks in the plural. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And we're going to talk about that more next week when we talk about the nature of the human person. And while there's some interpreters that might suggest outside of those monotheistic, maybe even some of them might suggest, wait, though this is just referencing polytheism. This is just the same old thing that's happening in the cultures around them at that time. But Christian interpreters, of course, using the whole of Scripture, see these references as supporting this understanding of one God eternally existing as three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And while we don't see the reference to God the Son in these texts, the Apostle John essentially provides to us in his gospel in chapter 1 a creation story. And he goes back and he references creation and in that he very clearly describes Jesus, whom he calls the Word in that chapter, as a key participant in creation. He says in John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning, I think that meant the beginning. I don't think that meant somewhere along the way. In the beginning was the Word, and the was with the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Not another God, but capital G God for the triune God in one who is three. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Now throughout the Gospels and the New Testament as a whole, there's extensive language that describes the three persons, the elements of our one God. Matthew 28:19, perhaps the most familiar. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the singular name, the name, of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Not a plural. Not baptizing them in the names of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, but a singular, which in language is important. Galatians 4, 6, Because you are God's children, God, the Father, has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. I want to acknowledge that in a very real sense that the concept of the Trinity, this one God eternally existing in three distinct persons, is difficult to grasp. We're okay, I think realistically we're okay with three, but we know, wait a minute, it can't be that. We'd, we'd be, I think we'd be easier in most of our minds, but then orthodoxy sort of just, wait a minute, wait a minute. How are they one? And we will, I will touch on that, not this morning as much. So I think the challenge for us is that as we wrestle with a truth that is difficult, 
there's a tendency to sort of um, simply dismiss it or ignore it or think, I I can't understand it, so it can't be that relevant. But I want to tell you this morning that perhaps this aspect of God being three in one is as crucial and significant an understanding about God and us as the death and resurrection of Jesus. And that's going to be really clear as we go through these weeks. Secondly, God is love. God is triune and God is love. We've, we all would declare this, we all would say this, but there is significance in this that is way beyond just a simple statement. I want to consider this aspect of the nature of God, the character of God, and I want to compare it to ancient polytheistic gods as well as compare it slightly to Allah, the God of the Muslims, as described in the Quran. God is love. So one of the most outstanding differences between the gods of the nations and the God of the Bible is that those other gods, all of them, are conniving, evil, and oversexed. Um, think back to your school history classes or movies of the last few years. Think about the gods we're familiar with, like the Greek gods, Zeus. Zeus became the king and father of the gods by defeating and overthrowing his father Cronus, along with other Olympians and the Titans. He won. He kicked out the others. Great God. Poseidon was the god of the seas, and when he didn't get his way, he wreaked havoc by flooding parts of the earth. Kind of had a temper problem. Aphrodite, the goddess of love and affection, was herself, like most of the gods, unfaithful to her her husband and having almost too many affairs to even count. Apollo, the very handsome god of light, truth, music, and poetry, sounds really nice, schemed and cheated, and also had so many affairs that they're hard to count. So while these gods of the nation were described as having great power and strength, the reality is that they were really simply glorified humans with the same passions of lust, hate, envy, and murder. Isn't that great to have a God that's just like us in those ways? Not so much. So Allah is described in the Quran as forgiving, merciful, compassionate, sovereign, loving, and kind. He's also described as avenger, bringer of death, and destroyer. Yeah. And though described as loving, on two occasions the Quran states that Allah does not love unbelievers. Allah does not love those who have not accepted him and believed in him and are following him. In other words, Allah's love is only for those who believe and follow him. Allah only loves those who love him. Hmm. In contrast, God of the Bible, who is described throughout the Bible as a God who loves all humankind, whose love endures forever, and of whom nothing can separate us from that love. That's quite a contrasted picture. In the New Testament, God is not only described as the loving God, His very nature, His very 
being is said to be love. Twice the Apostle John declares in his letter in 1 John 4.8 as well as 4.16, God is love. The God of the Bible, unlike the gods of the nations, is a God of justice, mercy, and love. Rather than being a God to be feared, the God of the Bible is love. And while all of us in this room would say, yes, yes, are there not times when we question, are you really? What happened now? Where were you when? You may want to go see the movie The Shack. It's really good. Talks about this. God is love. Another aspect I want to touch on is that God is relational. Kevin prayed about this very clearly, that God wants to have relationships. I want to start by, again, I'm going to compare with Allah. Very interesting aspect about this contrast between relational and singular. The Quran describes Allah as a monotheistic God, but it also presents him as a single person God. And I, I, I shared this material. This will be echoing a little bit from a year and a half ago when I taught on this, but to hear it again. In some aspects, as we've already seen, the Quran describes Allah similarly as the monotheistic God of the Bible. It says, there's no God but Allah, the ever-living, the eternal one. Neither slumber nor sleep overtakes him. To him belongs whatever is in the heavens and whatever is on the earth. He is the most exalted, the most great. Sounds pretty good. But the Quran also sharply distinguishes Allah from the God of the Bible by saying, say not Trinity. Desist. It will be better for you. For Allah is one. Glory be to him. For he far exalted is he above having a son. So he's exalted above being a father. Hmm. I kind of like God as father, don't you? Well, if we've had a father like Allah, we might maybe have some questions there. Another passage, say he, Allah, is one. Allah is he on whom all depend. He begets not, nor is he begotten, and none is like him. Michael Reeves explains this in his book, Delighting in the Trinity. In other words, Allah is a single person God. In no sense is he a father. He begets not. And in no sense does he have a son, nor is he begotten. He is one person and not three. Allah then is an utterly different sort of being to the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. And it is not just incompatibly different numbers that we're dealing with here. The difference is going to mean that Allah exists and functions in a completely different way from the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. What that means further is that unlike the eternal God of the Father, who had been eternally loving, having loved the Son since before creation. Allah cannot be eternally loving. For prior to His creating, there was no one to love. Other than Himself. Which is would be a whole other way to sort of, wow, 
So Allah was in love with himself because there was no one else to be in love with. So if Allah existed in eternity without anyone to love, being sufficient in himself, needing no one else, why would he choose to create except as the gods of the other nations would create for the purpose of humankind to be slaves and or servants to do his bidding? Which is the picture of all, all other religions. No God could be love if there was no one to love. And no God could create in order to love because that would show that they were needy and lonely. If such a God created humankind in order to be who he is, loving, then humankind would be giving that God life. And no God could be a father without a child. This singular God existing for eternity without anyone to love is not the God of the Bible. Relationship, God is relational. Relationship is part of the very nature of God. And this aspect of who God is, is absolutely crucial. God has always, since before time and creation, been relational. Which means that God will always be relational. God is not a deistic God who created the world and then withdrew. God is relational. He wants relationship. He desires relationship with you and me and with all of humanity. That God is triune substantiates this aspect that he is love and that he is relational. And the heart of the creation of humankind in God, as we'll I'll comment on in a minute, was to welcome and invite others to join the community of love that existed before time, before the world. God is relational. God is Father, Son, and Spirit going beyond what I said earlier about God being triune, the God of eternity is the triune God of love who before creation was not first and foremost creator, ruler, or almighty. He was one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. That is the core aspect of the nature of God. If God is Father, Son, and Spirit, then he must be relational and life-giving. And that is the sort of God that we would want to know, could know, who would love and would fill us with his love. God is Father. One of the most foundational things in God is this fact that God is Father. Again and again, the Bible equates the terms God and Father. In Exodus 4.22, the Lord calls Israel, my firstborn son. In Deuteronomy 131, God is said to carry his people as a father carries his son. In Deuteronomy 8.5, God is spoken of as one who disciplines as a man disciplines his son. Psalms 103.13 says, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Isaiah prays, you, O Lord, are our father. Jesus throughout the gospel speaks of God as his father and our father. 
And both Paul and Peter refer to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is Father. So what does it mean that God is Father? Well, God is called Father because He's a Father. And a Father is a person who gives life, who begets children. If before all things God was eternally a Father, then this God is an inherently outgoing, life-giving God who as a part of his nature would create life. Who would bring new life. Because love begets. He did not give life for the first time when he decided to create. From very eternity he has been life-giving. When he did create, he created humankind as father. When he loves humankind, he loves his father. When he pursues us, he pursues us as a father. When he disciplines, he disciplines his father. Jesus is one of Jesus' key parables is the story of the prodigal father. Prodigal meaning extravagant, wastely, wasting. A picture of a father who loves and embraces and invites and welcomes home. As a father, he provides, he encourages, he challenges, he protects, he helps, he educates, he loves. Let me speak just for a moment, as I referenced earlier, to those who perhaps did not experience an earthly father in these good ways, but rather experienced their father perhaps as overbearing, indifferent, distant, or even as abusive. For such a person, the idea of father doesn't bring very positive feelings. But let's keep in mind that God the Father is not called Father because he copies earthly fathers. He is the template. He is the first. He is the model. And we, in contrast, make mistakes as fathers. We are not him. But we can look to him, who is Father, and learn from him how to be the kinds of fathers that we could be. God the Father is the real image of Father. God is Son. God, we've said, is not just Father. He is also Son and Spirit. And how does that work, we wonder? And how is that important? Well, while the Father loves the Son and the Son loves the Father, there is a definite shape to that relationship. Overall, the Father is the lover, the initiator, and the Son is the beloved. And the way the Father makes known His love is through the Spirit. Look with me for a moment at that account of Jesus' baptism. When Jesus had been baptized, just as He came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. A reference containing the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit. Here the Father declares His love for His Son, His pleasure in Him, and He does so as the Spirit rests on Him. In a deeply personal way, the Spirit stirs up the delight of the Father in the Son and the delight of the Son in the Father. Luke recounts a similar but reciprocal experience. Luke 10.21 In that moment, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth declaring his love and his commitment to his father. 
Sorry. God is Father, God is Son, and God is Spirit. The Spirit is the one through whom the Father loves, blesses, and empowers His Son. And through the Spirit, the love, the Son loves, praises, and does the will of the Father. And it's the same for us. We who have found faith in Christ, Paul describes in Romans 5.5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Kevin taught at the beginning of this year, and then he proposed to us a, a model of, of two pillars, two foundations of uh, truth that are significant. Uh, one being the, the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, but the second one being Pentecost. I said my series is five weeks long, but I'm, I'm not sure I'm not also going to go towards Pentecost or get Kevin to help me or something. Because after Easter comes Pentecost. And a friend of ours, a pastor friend of ours recently said, well, so Pentecost is the birthday of the Holy Spirit, sort of. He wasn't born then, but we were born then. And we celebrate him on Pentecost. And that's about 40 days after Easter. So Lent, 40 days, 40 days waiting in the upper room. Yeah, 40 days in the wilderness. Yeah, yeah, 40 years. Okay. The Spirit is not an impersonal force any more than the Father or the Son. We're told in the New Testament that as a person, the Holy Spirit speaks, sends, chooses, teaches, gives, can be lied to, can be resisted, grieved, and even blasphemed. In every way, the Holy Spirit is presented alongside the Father and the Son as a real person. Now, I said earlier, God is relational. Well, I'm going to expand that now and say God is a community of love. Besides this awesome good news that God is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, eternally bound in a bond of love, being in themselves a community of love that really didn't need anyone else, but being themselves love, they were not content to keep that love to themselves. You know, with two, you can kind of be self-sustaining. One loves one, one loves the other. As soon as you get three, there's this multiplicity, this aspect of that can now expand. And that's what happened. Father and Son and Spirit being love and so loving the other, wished for others to know and share in their love. And from that comes forth creation and particularly humankind who are created in the very image and likeness of God, created to both be loved and to love. As a result, God is not just a trinity of love, but God is a community of love. And I would propose, when you think of God, don't think of God as three, because he isn't. In a sense, he is all who would come to him and join them. God is a community of love into what he... into. What he welcomes, invites, leads, and guides to join. Humankind is blessed by God in the creation account because looking at man and woman, the Father sees the reflection of the Son and the Spirit, and the Son sees the reflection of the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit sees the reflection of the Father and the Son. Consider how life-giving this God is, creating a world full of love. 
Everything needed for life and happiness was provided to humankind. The seas and all the sea life, the land and all the animals, the skies, the birds, the air, plant life, vegetation, fruit, even partnership with God and with one another, male and female, all of this without end. The God of love providing to humankind unto a world full of love for God and for one another, a community of love. That is what God birthed in the garden. Even as the Father, Son, and Spirit have known it for all of eternity. Creation by this God of the Bible is not with selfish motivation, longing to be served or even loved, as if he needed servants or was lonely or did not have love. Humankind was created in love and unto love, not for a selfish love of God himself, but it, as was the case of the gods of the nations. No, God, humankind was created to join the Father, Son, and Spirit, expanding the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit to include others who would both be loved and then they would love. The Father so loved the Son and the Spirit that He created humankind to love the Son and the Spirit as He did. The Son so loved the Father and the Spirit that He created humankind to love the Father and the Spirit as He did. The Spirit so loved the Father and the Son that He created humankind to love the Father and the Son as He did. It was the overflowing love for the other that motivated Father, Son, and Spirit to create a people who would be loved and love as they love. As they love one another, as they love us. So they welcome us to love them and to love one another. Humankind was created in the image and likeness of this Father, Son, and Spirit, God. We were created with the very image of them. You and I and all of humankind were created to join and delight in this harmonious, selfless, loving relationship with God and one another being an ever-increasing, expanding community of love. So what happened then in the garden that caused all this to go so wrong? Was it simply that man and woman disobeyed God by not following the rules? Doggone it. You didn't follow my rules. Out of here. Or was there something a whole lot deeper? Created in the image of God, humans were created as lovers. But in the garden, love was corrupted. It became twisted. Love turned from the purity of love for another to love of self. Humankind declared to God, Sorry, Charlie, we don't need you. We don't want you. We'll do just fine without you and your community of love. And in that moment, humankind began a descent from love and life to aloneness and separation from love and life itself. And that has remained the state of humankind from the day that from that day forward until one day God Himself, God the Son, stepped down from heaven. Taking on our physical body, God the Son was made in the image of humankind. Living a life of pure love of God and others to such an end that he sacrificed his life, dying a shameful death in our place, 
taking upon himself the penalty for our sin, breaking the bonds of selfish, corrupted, and twisted love, making possible the restoration of humankind to the pure agape love for God and others that we were created for. And that powerful verse in John chapter 3, verse 16, that we all know, would you read it with me? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Meaning that humankind would not have to live an eternal life separated from the love of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and from one another. To perish is a picture of life being snuffed out. Love is life, and life is love. And without loving another and the love of another, there is no life. One is alone. And Jesus declared, saying, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And the only way that happens is through the Spirit at work in our lives. Friends, Jesus wants you to know the only true God who is Father, Son, and Spirit and to know Him as a God who is love, who passionately loves you with the same agape love that Father, Son, and Spirit love one another. The very love the Father has for the Son is the love that He loves you. The very love of the Son that loves the Father and the Spirit loves you. And we are invited to embrace a restoration of the human person to the state of humankind prior to the fall. Say that again. You and I, we are invited to embrace a restoration of our person, our human person, to the state of humankind prior to the fall. That is God's goal. That is what Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit does. We are already seated in the heavenlies. In Christ, we have been restored. We are a new creation. All things have become brand new. We'll talk a lot more about that in the next few weeks. You are invited to join Father, Son, and Spirit and all who would join Him in this eternal community of love. I want to conclude with a short um, type thing that we did last week that is... um, a model of of inner prayer, uh, inner healing with Sozo. I started out uh, commenting that I I feel like um, in a similar way that I can't talk about all of who God is in these few moments, neither have we yet all fully known God. And not only have we not known all of his aspects in fullness, I believe we have believed lies about him. And I believe that he would want to show us and to point out just an area where we've 
misunderstood him. And I'm going to invite you to um, extend your hands as if you're going to receive. And I want you simply to ask God, God, where have I missed knowing you? Where have I misunderstood you? Is there a time in my life where I believed a lie and I withdrew? Is there a time where I pushed back and said, I don't want anything to do with you because of who you are and how you've treated me or a loved one? God, show me a time when I misunderstood you. And God, would you now show me what is true? Would you speak to me right now and tell me who you really are and were in that situation? And in your hearts, would you join me with a response? With the understanding or the thought of that place where there was misunderstanding, would you join me to confess that and simply say, God, I'm sorry, just in your hearts for believing that lie? for living and drawing away from you because I didn't know who you really were. I'm sorry. And I accept and I believe who you really are. that you loved me then and you love me still.
that you were loved then and you still are loved. That you are good even when there is bad in the world. Papa, we thank you for your love. Jesus, we thank you for your love. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your love. Thank you for inviting and welcoming us into your family of love, your community of love. Thank you that you have not left us alone, fleeing from you, but have waited and welcomed, invited and embraced. You are a prodigal father, a prodigal son in the sense of extravagant and going after us. And a prodigal spirit in that you have so chased us to love us, to catch us and love us. And we love you all. Might we know who you really are, even as Jesus prayed. And we might we know your love in a real and genuine way. We join you in your family of love. In Jesus' name, amen. As Kevin mentioned, we've got folks that will be up here. Uh, you can come on up, those that would like to help us pray. Um, perhaps a sense of connection here this morning. Uh, perhaps what came to your mind a few minutes ago about a place where there was difficulty in your life related to knowing who God was and a negative response. That we would be uh, happy to pray with you, to hear you, and to come alongside you in that. Have a great week, and uh, hopefully we'll see you back next week. God bless.